and welcome to episode 10 of Stories from a Bar. I'm your host, Chris Osborne, and I am hanging out at Indian Ladder Farms with Dietrich Gearing. Pronounced right? Excellent. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's always my biggest concern when I start these things. Uh, owner of the cidery and brewery here on the premises, uh, Dietrich, thank you for hanging out and taking this opportunity to talk with me. I appreciate it. It's my pleasure. Of course, I tried to stop by here once before, and I vastly underestimated the crowd size that was going to be here when I last attempted. Yeah, you showed up on a, a Saturday in October. That's, uh, <laughs> that can be... Uh, it's been years... It can be hard to get anything. <laughs> <laughs> yes, and it's been years since I've been here. I've forgotten how massive this place actually is. Yeah, we, uh, we've uh, grown quite a bit probably since the last time you were here, too. So crowds are a little bit bigger on the uh, busy weekends. Like I said, I originally planned to do this about a month ago, and uh, I apologize to the millions of listeners out there. My voice seems off. <laughs> I had uh, a lot of fun at a Metallica concert last night, and it's before noon today. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I was able, when I was here on that, it was a beautiful Saturday, of course, first day of fall. And, yeah, it's uh, a, little, a little gloomy today. But... Yeah, it's a little <laughs> gloomy today, and it's getting colder as the days pass by. But I did have the opportunity to try some of the great hard ciders and one or two of the beers. I had the Pilsner. That was really good. Oh, yeah. Which one did you have? The uh, Gill's Pills, I think? Uh, that may have been it. I don't yeah. remember now. So, uh, Indian Ladder Farms. Uh, why don't we start off? Give me a little backstory on the farm. I know it's about 102 years old. Which This, uh, this is true. It is 102 years old. Um, my wife is the fourth generation on the farm. Um, my son, if he decides to uh, come back to the farm after college, will be fifth generation. It started out as a dairy farm, um, in was a dairy farm up until about the 40s, and uh, when the barn burned, and then they went to beef cattle and started planting the apple orchards. Once the orchards came into production, it became a commodity um, apple orchard, and it was... Uh, that way right up until about 1965, I think. And um, then uh, my father-in-law uh, decided to do uh, direct sales um, off the what we're sitting on the front porch here. And uh, that proved to be successful. And eventually the commodity market for small um, apple orchards sort of disappeared as uh, you know big farms out west uh, sort of took that over, and then eventually you know China took over uh, really? the entire sort of apple industry um, as far as you know uh, commodity and, and juice and like that. So we we sort of moved uh, full force into direct sales. We do some small wholesale here to mm-hmm. you know local Hannafords and some other small stores, but most everything is sold right out the front door here, including now beer and cider, hard cider. Yeah, and the farm the entire time it's been operational has been in the Tenike family? Yeah, that is founded, correct. Founded yep. by Peter Tenike, right? Yeah, In 1916. Well, yep, one of the many Peter Tenikes. <laughs> <laughs> and you guys had a... And I learned a lot of this because you guys had a great detailed history on the actual website. So that was very convenient. <laughs> yes. Yes. Well, you know, it's a, it, it gets, uh, you know, people ask all the time. So finally we had to get something down and writing for people. <laughs> Here, go look at the website. <laughs> and uh, as I was doing some research and I scrolled through that, I didn't realize this is actually made up of five different farms that were purchased over time? Yeah, Laurie's a great-great-grandfather, the original Peter Tenike. He was um, congressman, and uh, he was commissioner of agriculture. And this uh, farm was kind of set up as a um, kind of a showcase farm. He was a Cornell graduate, and so it was it was kind of like a dairy farm that you would come to to see like modern techniques and and like that. They had a uh, an award-winning uh, Guernsey uh, cattle herd here, and uh, it, it was it was a pretty big deal in its day. And he he kept buying uh, smaller farms, and eventually, you know, it ended up being five farms, and we're about 320 acres now. And that is massive. You gave me an awesome tour, and just getting a small feel of the scope, walking around and seeing some of the things available is really impressive yeah it's uh, and one of the things that's nice i don't know if you when you were driving out here you noticed we're we're in an area where there aren't many farms anymore or at least you know there is some from open farmland but encroachment's becoming pretty heavy on us 
So about 12 years ago, we sold the development rights um, to the farm. So we have an agricultural easement on the farm. Mm-hmm. Uh, so what it basically means is we, we, when we sold the development rights, we could sell the farm if we wanted to to another agricultural practice, but it can never become a housing development or anything like that. That's uh wow that's really cool. Yeah, and I think you know preserving you know that's that's part of part of what my wife and I are about is you know making sure that uh, there is you know agriculture in in these areas. So even so even after the Ten Eyck family is gone one day, if it happens, it would still be it would it could only be you know like my son or his grandson. Um, or my brother-in-law's children, they could only sell it to be another farming enterprise. I mean, it could be another, it doesn't necessarily have to be an apple orchard or, you know, uh, something like that, but it will always be farmland. So you mentioned the farm kind of starting out as a dairy farm. I know that ended pretty much when it was the dairy barn that burned down, right? Yeah, they had a yeah they had a spontaneous hay combustion and it burned the uh, barn down. They were able to get the cattle out, and they ended up. They decided at that point that uh, uh, Lori's uh, grandfather decided that he didn't really want to uh, carry on with the dairy business. Um, was it a matter of it being kind of a pain in the ass to rebuild or um, not a huge enough? expense yeah. I mean um, and he had moved into uh, insurance at that point so he wasn't as active on the farm and so they decided uh, they they ran beef cattle here for a while um, while they were planning out the orchard so eventually you know after about 10 years when the trees were you know mature they they sold off the beef cattle and then it became a a full-fledged apple orchard and it's been that way ever since so how was the apple business before the pick your own started was it it was all you know that it was all wholesale so basically what used to happen is i mean it was it was very different than it is now i mean we picked in you know one bushel boxes and it went on tractor trailers and it shipped out of here and most of it went for juice oh okay that was that was the primary uh use for it um a lot of it went for like baby food for a beach nut and and places like really? that but uh you know, eventually, you know, all those industries, you know, there used to be a huge cider mill right in Voorheesville. Um, it was Mott's, um, and they're, you know, completely gone. Uh, Beach Nut's gone. I mean, all those businesses went away, uh, moved to other areas, and also as the, um, you know, commodity market changed, I mean, uh, it was very hard for a, a, you know, 320 acres sounds, you know, big, but when you're talking like, apples grown out in the Yakima Valley or something on a 2,000 acre apple farm that's uh, they can definitely have a uh, oh wow uh, scale is uh, (laughs) (laughs) very hard to compete with that so that's that's what happened I mean we have set we have buildings here they're called controlled atmosphere we call them CA buildings and they're kind of interesting and and we're going to start using them again but back in the day we used to use them so we would put the apples in what's called cement, uh, suspended animation, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, so we pump all the oxygen out of the building. It's a completely sealed, insulated building, um, and pump in nitrogen. So the apples would go, they essentially go to sleep until you open those doors up again. Oh, wow. So we could open up um, you know, the doors in July, and the apples would be like the day they went in there. Wow, that's amazing. Uh, um, which sounds really great, and that was a way for us to compete a little bit until they did that in the Pacific Northwest, and they would do, like, massive buildings, and they would flood the market with, you know, last year's apples at the time that we were picking this year's apples at half the price. Oh, wow. So, <laughs> very that's, hard to... That's amazing. Uh, I didn't realize you could preserve yeah, the apples like that. Yeah, they... Uh, it's it's uh, and, and we just restored those buildings, actually... Um, this past year, and uh, we're looking at the the cider. The cider market is in a in a, in a boom uh, period right now. It's mm-hmm. like up four hundred percent. So, we're now looking at the possibility of pressing uh, cider year round, and and we do have an apple press here on the farm, and we could start using those buildings again, and that way we could press off season. And we were talking about uh, where the dairy barn burned down a new military type. Building. Yeah, yeah, well, <laughs> that, yeah, 1949. Back, uh, new back uh, then. Yeah. Uh, we built what's called a Quonset hut, which is, yes. uh, you know, Quonset is uh, 
I believe it's a, uh, I can't remember the name of the tribe, Connecticut Indian tribe. It means longhouse. Mm-hmm. And if you look at it, it's, just, it's kind of like a giant metal long, yeah, longhouse. That's exactly <laughs> what it looked like. But uh, I was really interested in the plans you have. Yeah, so we're, we're looking at um, starting here in a couple of weeks um, a, of turning that into a much bigger brewery. Right now on site, we have um, a three-barrel brewery. Uh, that was built uh, locally by a company called Fraunhofer. And um, part of what's nice about dealing with, uh, with Fraunhofer, aside from the fact that they're very local, is that they were able to essentially give us this three-barrel brewery um, while they're building our 20-barrel brewery. Nice. So, it, you know, it, it doesn't really give us enough beer. On a busy weekend, we're still selling out of all the beer that we make. Um, so, you know, we're pretty excited to be getting the 20 barrel here hopefully in the spring the, yeah then i'm looking forward to seeing that i yeah. know it'll take some time but uh that it sounds like it's going to be pretty awesome when it yeah gets we're hoping running. we're hoping by next september that is fully up and running nice uh i am curious what were people's reactions when you when they started the pick your own apples i know it was like back in the 70s yeah that's when it, it started it, it's it's one it it became kind of a it's a phenomenon. I mean, it's like you know we have lines for people. Became for a big own. draw, real oh, quick. Oh yeah, and and now, um, you know, it, it, it's a primary part of our apple business is is pick your own. We have sections of the orchard that are just designated for pick your own only now, and uh, it it became a way also for us it, not you know not just with the apples and. Uh, we started a spring pick your own uh, by planting uh, blueberries and raspberries. Mm-hmm. So it's a way to get people out to the farm, um, and it's a way to get people out here multiple times. And now, you know, that we have the brewery and cidery and, and the cafe and so on, it's, you know, it gives them a, a you know, reason to stay. <laughs> uh, dad has something to do. Yeah, you know? it's like you a know. dad daycare. Right, dad daycare. You know, <laughs> mom might be gluten free, so you know we've got hard cider for her, and you know, vice versa. Nice. Uh, it's funny when I think of. I look forward to fall. Summer's probably my favorite season. Then, of course, after a couple months, I'm ready for fall to come in, and two things come to mind immediately for when I think of fall, and that's first off my hatred of everything pumpkin spice. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, you and me both. And I'm, then, uh, uh, fortunately, se- our, bre- our brewer and I have, uh, we, we agree on that. But, uh. <laughs> and then second is apples. I've always loved apples. Yeah. So that's what jumps out to me at fall, and I start, that's when I really start getting drinking the ciders and everything like that. And, right. We've been, we've toyed around with a couple of, you know, pumpkin-related things, uh, but, you know, the pumpkin beers and like that, they're they're really just about the spice. There's nothing really to do with the pumpkin. The pumpkin just doesn't add much of anything to it. So I agree. One hundred percent. Yeah. <laughs> so we've tried to steer away from that. Uh, my my wife feels completely differently about that. She's uh, she's more on the marketing end and feels <laughs> that we should uh, we should be providing that. So on occasion we'll buy someone else's beer that's a pumpkin beer <laughs> and serve that and of course the third thing i think of are apple cider donuts which are absolutely delicious yeah and that's uh that's a, that's the second uh, that's the second phenomena it's it's uh, hard to believe that you know people people will actually wait in line now and, and that wasn't even introduced till the 70s right around that time frame right. Too, right yeah my father-in-law got a couple of donut robots i think we're up to six now and it's still an hour and a half wait on a busy weekend to the, get a donut yeah the uh when i showed up on that one saturday i wanted to get some donuts and the line was probably about a quarter mile long yeah that's that's the case where we're actually exploring the possibility of doing a much larger you know like a donut pavilion because it's sort of grown into that sounds magical yeah (laughs) uh so yeah so on a really busy weekend here it'll be um it'll be like an hour and a half to get a donut but you know it's it's only about 20 minutes to get a beer so you know (laughs) priorities (laughs) you can you know you can if you come with a group of people you can divide and conquer exactly one person stand in the donut line while the other one runs beers back and forth exactly and holds the spot when you need to (laughs) use the bathroom (laughs) we're trying to figure out ways to make the lines longer but it's it's one of those things every time we add more it just it never really changes you know it's like the line is still the same even though we've added more donut robots we've made the brewery bigger you know or we're making more cider which these are great problems to have but you know you feel you feel bad for somebody who's waiting in line that long 
Well, just judging by the response they still have, I assume the cider donut took off pretty quickly along with the pick-your-own-apple. Yeah, it did. It did. And, um, yeah, we've... I can't tell you how many donut robots we've gone through over the years. <laughs> I mean... And uh, we were talking about all the different kinds of apples earlier. Is it... How many varieties? Is there, like, over 40 varieties? Yeah, I think we're up to, like, 46 if you count some of the um, experimental varieties. Um uh, the Ten Eyck's have always been very um, closely involved with Cornell, so that's and I've read about that, and I wanted to ask about that. Yeah, so my father-in-law, well, uh, his grandfather, his father, and and he all went to Cornell, and along with his one of his nieces. So there's a, there's sort of a long history there. He was on the board of trustees. And is it do they there. have a fruit testing program? Yeah, they do. Exactly they grow is? out a lot of. Um, a lot of the varieties that you've come to know and love, like Honeycrisp and the new one, Snapdragon, those were all developed at Cornell. Really? Yeah, and, and they a lot of those things get tested here. Um, so various farms are, you know, and we're one of them that we, you know, they, they put numbers on things. And sometimes you'll see in the store, you'll see, you know, Cornell number... Five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. You know, and that's that's an experimental variety that hasn't received a name yet, um, and in some cases may not. Uh, oh wow! Yeah, so the, uh, they will just they will nix that one, and f- over something else, it you know it either has some sort of production problem or uh, d- disease. It's not disease resistant enough or something, and, and they'll they'll nix it for something uh, um, better. What are the goals of the program? Is it just experiment and see what they can produce? Yeah, it's a research, you know, it's a research program um, uh, for apples. I mean, there's there's literally thousands of varieties of apples. Oh, yeah. You know, so apples and, and, and hops, too, are this way. So all the apples you see out there, they they don't come from seed. Um, so they're all clones. Okay. So everything is grafted onto, you know, a certain sturdy rootstock and then grown on that. So it all comes from like, you know, a few, you know, mother plants essentially. And, uh, what's interesting about that is that hops are the same way, you know, and then we grow hops here on the farm, um, that they're all clones too. And, and what's interesting also is that, so if you plant an apple seed, so you've got your favorite Honeycrisp apple and you mm-hmm. take the seeds out of it, there is a 100% chance that you are not getting that apple. Oh, wow. It'll be any number of things. It, it may taste awful. It could be bitter. It could be, you know, so that's why they graft everything. It's the same with hops. So if you allow seeds to grow in your hop yard, they will be any number of things. But that said, that's also how we find new varieties mm-hmm. of things. Interesting. So I was also, of course, as I was scrolling through the farm's history there, uh, I noticed it mentioned Indian Ladder is one of 18 eco-apple growers in yeah, New England and New York. Yeah, we're so part of... what exactly is... Well, Eco Apples, that, it's a group of apple growers that we we adhere to a certain, you know, uh, protocol of practices. Um, we're all IPM farms, which means it's integrated pest management. So there's a lot of scouting of bugs and disease and stuff. So it's more, it's a heavier management mm-hmm. um, uh, system. Uh, so, you know... My father-in-law and Chris, who's and, and Tim, who are the, uh, farm and assistant farm managers, are out there driving around all the time. They have traps out. They're looking for bugs. They're counting bugs. They're checking for scab and all that. And what it basically is is by having a more stringent management program, you're you're trying not to spray as much. Okay. So you're trying to keep it, and that's why it's eco apples because we're we're not organic. But we're trying to keep it down to the bare minimum of what we have to use so we don't lose the crop. How important is it to keep that distinction for you guys? Uh, it's, it's pretty very, important. Yeah, it's very important. I mean, it, it's important for us from you know uh, an ecological and moral standpoint. I mean, we raise our children here. Mm-hmm. Um, we don't want to be putting anything into the water or onto the fruit that we yeah. you know uh, think is a problem. And, and you know... 
it's also a marketing and a financial situation, you know, because from a marketing standpoint, people are very aware of where their food is coming from and they, you know, they don't want to, you know, be eating things that they think are bad for them. But on the other hand, it's very expensive and very difficult to grow organic apples on any kind of scale. So what are the biggest challenges then of trying to keep that eco tag um, eco friendly? Well, yeah, I think it's it's basically well everything by doing the proper management. What what it means is, and, and this this goes for hops as well, is that we are constantly trying to do things that are preventative instead of reactionary. Okay. So basically, we haven't done our job if we are seeing a complete outbreak of disease or insects. It means that Makes we sense. we haven't you know done the preventative care that you know it could mean that our trees aren't healthy because health, unhealthy trees you know are more susceptible to disease and, and attack from insects. So mm-hmm. it's very important to keep everything you know on a very healthy level, and at least that goes for hops as well. Generally, by the time you see disease or you know an infestation, you're 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 pretty much lost the battle because you know wholesale spraying is is not good (laughs) i mean it it, it generally it generally it's a reactionary thing it generally doesn't work uh very well and it's also hugely expensive that does not surprise me you know uh i'm curious what's the most popular kind of apple i'd say right now it's honey crisp does Um, it change with oh yeah week to week well year to not year to year it changes there's there's cycles you know it's like um, when I was growing up, you know, the Red Delicious was a hugely popular apple, and I think that we have torn most of those orchards out. Oh, really? It's just not a very uh, popular apple anymore. It's very starchy, um, uh, and and so people's tastes change. No, oh, yeah, you know, uh, whether it's you know beer or cider or apples or anything like that. You have a personal favorite when it comes to apples? Um, I like an apple called the Macallan. The Macan, uh, that's yeah, a good one, yeah. yeah and I, I do like Honeycrisp quite a bit, too. I always have the fallback Macintosh, but yep. I like, I mean, I haven't had an apple where I've been like, oh, God, I hate this apple. Yeah. <laughs> like, I, uh, I, like, I have a few I don't like. Um, I, I've always liked Macintosh and Granny Smith have kind of been the fallback. The Honeycrisp is good, yeah. The Macan yeah. I've enjoyed, too, yeah. Yeah, so we, um, we're planting, or we have planted over the last few years, a lot more cider varieties here on the farm. So we're we're tasting a lot of those, and we just started pressing some of those, and we can give you some samples of some of that downstairs. Um, uh, I won't turn down any samples. <laughs> yeah, the uh, you know they're thing they're older varieties like Dabonet and uh, Porter's Perfection. Um, we're growing things like Kingston Black, and these are these are old cider varieties. Mm-hmm. Um, they have um, higher sugar contents, the higher tannins. Um, they're, they're generally called bitters and sharps and the vast majority of apples that grow wild or, you know, in the world are cider varieties and they may not be as desirable as most of what we grow here are dessert apples, Mm -hmm. you know, eating apples, uh, pie apples. We do have some crossovers like Northern Spy is considered an eating apple and a cider variety. Oh, wow. So... Obviously, you guys do a big business in the fall. <laughs> yes, that's our that's our. We have to make Summer. all our, we have to make all our money in like six weekends. <laughs> Once uh, and we talked a little bit about this earlier. I know the market area closes down in the winter, but what's farm life like in the winter then? I know is the brewery is going to be open year round. The brewery's open. January is really the only kind of really quiet month here. Um, and February is, you know, a little bit on the quiet side, but as soon as March rolls around and we can get back out into the fields, we're back out there. I mean, there's pruning going on uh, starting in January and February. The trees, every tree on the farm gets pruned every year. So we have a, a crew that comes in from Vermont, contract crew, and then we also have a local crew that uh, it comes on for that. But. Is weather really the biggest challenge to... Maintaining um, I pruned for a couple around. of years before I was smart <laughs> enough to go to college. Um, and, and pruning's brutal. Um, you're out there in all kinds of weather. You know, it's it's freezing rain, and you're out there running a chainsaw, and it's it's not it's not fun work. <laughs> but it does have to get done. It, someone's got to do it. Someone's got to do it. Uh, I came across an interesting article uh, the other day. 
actually, well, earlier than the other day before <laughs> I had, <laughs> the other day when I planned to try to record this a month ago. But uh, you guys have gotten into growing hemp on the farm. Yeah, which that was is sort really of... interesting. I'm curious how that came about. Um, well, uh, it's it came about because. We grow hops, and I'm not smart enough to say I'm not starting to grow another crop that hasn't been grown in the state for 100 years. So <laughs> I have a severe early adopter problem. Um, I didn't realize um, hemp and hops are from the same family, right? Yeah, they're very closely related. Uh, one's an annual, one's a perennial. They do have some uh, some differences um, in, in the way they grow and the way they're harvested. Uh, but they do have some very, very strong similarities that uh, are, the research on it is, is very interesting. And uh, they're trying to breed some of the terpenes from, uh, from marijuana into hops to try to change some of the flavors. Because hops are kind of an ancient plant that doesn't have sex very well and genetically <laughs> uh, change so mm-hmm. it's very hard to get and it takes a very long time to get new varieties of hops whereas marijuana y- you can change in a couple of generations mm-hmm. you know very quickly um, so they're trying to see if they can pull some of the things out of you know uh, of, of hemp for uh, for hops and get some of those unique flavors that uh, that they're able to produce what are, uh, are there, I'm curious about the legal requirements and all kinds of, are there permits um, and things to, behind trying well, to grow hemp? It's been changing actually, well, it's been evolving, let's say, well, well we planted it. Um, we are working through um, uh, Morrisville uh, U- University out in uh, at SUNY Morrisville, and uh, so... We're part of a research project, mm-hmm. so we were given the seed by them, um, and we're providing data points for them. They had some, uh, you know, we had to do three different plots, you know, and do three different fertilizations and three different care uh, structures for them, and then we provide them with that data, and then they they enter it in so that, you know, what we're trying to figure out, is this a crop that is lucrative for the New York State farmer? And then the next step is, what the hell do we do with it? And that's sort of where I'm at right now. <laughs> <laughs> I, I have a lot of uh, seed right now. I'm not sure what uh, what we're going to do so with it. So is it monitored to keep, but make sure it doesn't get past like a certain THC yeah, level? Yeah, so we, yeah, we have to be below, uh, um, I think it's 3%. And I think ours tested out at 0.05 THC. Which is, it, it was a varietal that you know, we kind of knew that was not going to go above that. Um, weather conditions can change it, but uh, we had some independent testing, and then um, we it, it came in at the right numbers, and then uh, Ag and Markets actually came out and did some testing on it and uh, found that the numbers were the same, so we didn't have to destroy the crop. <laughs> <laughs> Which you're a little concerned it'd be, about. It'd be ironic if they burned the crop because it was... Too yeah, and what, what's amazing about uh, I don't know what your familiarity is with uh, with hemp or uh, cannabis in, in any respect, but it, it is exactly the same plant. So six acres of hemp, uh, frankly, reeks. <laughs> and, and when we had it combined, you know, it was like blowing into the beer garden, and people were like, "What really? is going on over there?" And I was like, "Well, we're harvesting our seeds." <laughs> Thinking people are just getting lit up out in the field. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, you, you'd probably have to smoke half an acre to uh, to receive any benefit from it. But uh, <laughs> um, so, so don't bother trying. <laughs> I have no intention. Okay. Honestly. Uh, what do you think surprises people the most when they come out to this farm? And like I said, uh, I came here, it was the first time in a few years, a month ago, and honestly, I was surprised by how much bigger it was than I remembered. But. Yeah, it, well, I had, I had a guy a couple weekends ago, and I was standing in the beer garden, and uh, he came up to me, and it was just wall-to-wall people, and there's people picking pumpkins and apples and standing in line for donuts and, you know, eating and drinking, and, and he goes, so what's going on here? And I said, what do you mean? What's going on? And he said, well, is there an event or something? And I said, no, this is it. Just (laughs) another day on the farm. You're looking at it. (laughs) It's like, this is just another Saturday here in the fall. He goes, wow. (laughs) 
this is something else. So yeah, I think people are surprised that there, you know, that there the, isn't a circus or something going on here. The, just you know? the crowd that it right. draws. Yeah. What have been some of your favorite stories? Favorite stories here on yeah. the farm? Well, anything that jumps out. Those are putting me on the spot here. <laughs> Uh, one of my favorite already as we were walking around i commented how i like the uh the taps down in the tap room because it looked like it was Um, from a giant barrel which apparently is uh an old hot tub yes it was my my wife's and uh, our hot tub and uh we were looking for some place to put the taps in and uh like i was telling you is we we're we're farmers we don't throw anything away so (laughs) Well, so, oh, let's cut that thing in half and let's put the taps on it. It works well. It does. It's a, it's a nice piece. It was an old redwood barrel. It was actually, it has more history than that. Um, up above us here on the escarpment is uh, Thatcher Park, which is uh, uh, one of the older state parks. Uh, uh, gorgeous, uh, gorgeous piece of property that overlooks the farm. And uh, they used to have a gigantic swimming pool up there. And that barrel originally came from the swimming pool. Oh wow! And they they put it up for auction, so I bought it and made a hot tub out of it, and now it's our taps. Nice. <laughs> what do you think? What's the toughest part of keeping this place going? I know we were walking around. You're talking about all the construction projects and things uh, that are being updated. Is it just basically constant maintenance at this point, and yeah. trying to handle expansions? Yeah, it's it's you know it's keeping a lot of balls in the air, you know, because we do have so many moving parts here. I mean, let's say we have an educational component on the farm where we do school groups. And, yeah, uh, we, we, we do, were talking about that, yeah, like twenty tours a day yeah, sometimes. Yeah, we have school buses rolling in here all the time. You know, the, uh, a funny story is it. it a few years ago, I had the opportunity to be in a receiving line with uh, our junior senator, Kirsten Gillibrand. And so, you know, you're, you're going uh, down the line and you got your little badge on and you've got like, you know, two second, seconds to talk to the senator. You don't want to say anything stupid, you know. More than so, enough time to establish yeah, a Yeah, more than enough time to make embarrass yourself. And so, uh, you know, I said, uh, I said, uh, I thank you, Senator, for, you know, all your... Uh, I appreciate, you know, your support of upstate uh, agriculture in, in the Senate. And she looks at me and reads my badge and goes, I know you. And I'm like, <laughs> like, she said, I've been to your farm. She goes, I came there on a yellow school bus. <laughs> so, you know, that's how long this is. I think any, any kid in this area has been here on a yellow school yeah, bus. Yeah, but you don't think about your senator as, like, you know, have coming. And she's like, I bring my kids there now. So. Oh, that's cool. <laughs> yeah. She was very nice, but, you know, she sort of put me on the spot. I know you. <laughs> Not, doesn't sound threatening at all. No. <laughs> she didn't know me. She knew the farm. <laughs> uh, what's your favorite event you guys do? I know just following your Facebook and Twitter feeds, it always looks like there's something cool coming up. I know you guys just did a... Um, yeah, I think right. Halloween themed. Or we did a Halloween theme on All Souls. Uh, we have a, a Renaissance Fair. Um, oh, that's right, the Renaissance yeah, Fair. In I June, forgot about that. Um, which draws about five thousand people, and um, that same group uh, does a All Souls Festival Halloween thing. Uh, currently, I'm really enjoying the Hawaiian Oktoberfest, where we have a Hawaiian band play, and uh, we carve stein apples, and uh, people wear later hosen and Hawaiian shirts. That so, sounds awesome. You, you know, so we're we're sort of like you know, the uh, Oktoberfest is so predictable. You know, I was like, what could we do that's a little different? And put a little touch on it. And a friend of ours goes, I just started a ukulele band. We're like, oh wow, Hawaiian <laughs> Oktoberfest. Let's do that. <laughs> So you have a book in front of you, yes. and uh, I had read about the book earlier. Why don't we talk about this book here, um, the Hop Grower's Handbook? Yeah, so like I said, I have the problem of being an early adopter, and so about eight years ago, we decided that we were going to try to grow hops on the farm. I mean, I'd grown them for about 25 years as a home brewer, you know, just casually in, in my garden and so on. and. So we'd gone to a couple of seminars on it and thought, well, let's see if we can grow 100 of them. We've grown 10. Unfortunately or unfortunately, that was successful. So we decided to put in 1,000. <laughs> and we've expanded out to 2,500 plants, which is, is pretty small in the, in, in the hop world. Um, but uh, for us, it's, it's pretty big and challenging. And, and 
as we got into about the third year of uh, fourth year of growing hops and we were approached by a publisher to do a book and we were kind of hesitant to do it because we didn't really you know know we didn't feel like we were the authorities on it or anything Mm -hmm. they were like well we really want somebody who's sort of going you know working their way through it and I said well we're certainly those people (laughs) we can tell you what not to do (laughs) and so that's sort of a lot of what the book is about is like don't do this Uh, you'd be better off doing this kind of uh, stuff so it's it's for small scale hop production It, it tells you basically if you want to grow a few plants in your yard as a home brewer it's going to tell you how to do that and then kind of how to scale up to like about one acre and and it's been exer- extraordinarily successful book. Uh, we were very surprised, or pleasantly surprised. Yeah, and you and your wife put it together. Yeah, she did all the writing on it, and uh, she did all the research. What what we found um, when we originally started doing it, there wasn't really a good small scale book out there. Um, so, and the research and everything was everywhere. I mean, it was at, you know, Corvallis University in Oregon. There was some good research. University of Vermont was doing some really, you know, good research. But it was really scattered. Um, and then there was a lot of bizarre misinformation about mm-hmm. growing hops. So, um, my wife was a journalist for a period of time. So, she's really good at... Uh, pulling all that stuff together and asking people, you know, hard questions and, and didn't take, you know, um, for granted that, you know, everybody knew, uh, various agricultural terms, you know, she was like, you know, it's like, tell me what pH is, you know, it's like, <laughs> and why is it important? You know, and, you know, kind of thing, instead of just saying you have to have the proper pH, you yeah. know? So it's, it's very good. It's, it's, it's a very, um, as uh, Steve Miller called it, um, and he, he's our hop specialist here in, in New York State, um, he said it's it's kind of, you know, it's like the first cookbook for growing hops on a small scale. Interesting. So. so what do you think, obviously you guys have the cidery and brewery here. I mean, for you, what do you think has been the biggest change you've seen the farm go through then? Um, we're seeing a lot of new people. Mm-hmm. Um, we're seeing a lot of uh, younger people. We're seeing a lot of young families. Um, you know, the twenty, tw- late twenty-something, early thirty-something families, because it, it get. You know, we're really providing a very. You know, we're we're serving alcohol here, but it's a very family-oriented um, place. You know, there's not a lot of people drunk and carrying on it, it's, there's you know, definitely the animals and yeah there's, and there's a lot stuff of for the for kids, kids to do and and there's you know one of the largest cows or no <laughs> well, i don't know rosie rosie's the oldest oldest so, yeah yeah she's, she's 21 we, years old yes, and had, we have a scottish highlander and yes. she's about she's about 21 years that was old. amazing to see that yeah yeah she's uh she's great and people now know her um and people have grown you know kids have grown up around her and uh, she's actually on one of our beer labels (laughs) (laughs) but yeah as far as you know we're seeing a lot um with the cidery and brewery we're seeing a lot of new faces Mm -hmm. um and we're seeing a lot of them return um to come out that they didn't know uh that we did all the things that we do so they're now putting their kids in the educational programs and and stuff like that and we talked a little bit about the Expanding the brewery up a little bit in the next couple of years. What uh, any other big projects going on around the farm? I think Isn't that enough? No. <laughs> <laughs> Where would you like to see the farm go? Is there something you'd like to? Uh, well, our our motto is here is to is to always try to leave it better than you found it. Okay. So that's, that's a good motto to have. You know, it's like we were very fortunate. Um, uh, generally, generationally speaking, to be handed um, a very, you know, a, a very good brand um, of Indian Ladder Farms and a very established business. So, you know, it's sort of under our care. It, it, the feeling is that, you know, we're supposed to move the mantle forward for the next generation. Nice. Definitely a nice way to have a nice motto to have and a nice way to live in general, yes. really. Yes, that and play nice. <laughs> <laughs> Just 
Be nice to people. It's yeah, not that hard. It's not that hard. <laughs> don't, be a, don't be a dick to people. Exactly. Things tend to work out. So you kids play nice. <laughs> <laughs> well, Dietrich, I appreciate you taking the time to hang out with yeah. me uh, and talk about the f- farm and the history. I'll be talking to Scott. Scott Veltman is Veltman. Our, our head brewer. Um, he came on board in February. Uh, he has a, uh, a great brewing history for a young guy. Uh, and he did a, He's done six years at uh, Brewery Amagang and um, uh, Amagang. Yep. yep. In Cooperstown. So, yep. So he has a, a great Belgian uh, brewing background. Um, and then he was a couple of years at the pump station in Albany. And before he came on with us. Uh, to you know he really wanted to he really likes the idea of the farm brewery movement and to be yeah. able to use stuff grown right here on the farm so well thank you again and uh, i'll be back with scott so i'm back with scott veltman brewer here at uh, indian ladder cidery and brewery scott how are you i'm doing well how are you good man <laughs> uh like i said thanks for taking a few moments to come up and chat with yeah, me about no some of the brewing going on so uh, why don't you tell me a little about, bit about yourself? Uh, how'd you get into brewing? Oh, geez. Uh, let's see here. I got into brewing back in 2000. Well, it was probably like 2006, 2007 when I first started home brewing. All right. And uh, I found a school up in Montreal that uh, did a program for fermentation science and brewing really? micro. And uh, yeah, so went up there, did a couple of years, and came back down into the States and uh, got a job at Brewery Omegang. Um, I work Which there. is fantastic. I haven't right? been out there. I haven't been out there. I need to. It's only like an hour and a half drive. Right. Yeah, it's beautiful too. It's it's ma- It just looks massive. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, because they do like forty six thousand barrels a year. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I was worked there for for six and a half years, and then decided to leave there and continue on in my journey, and uh, ended up at. Uh, C.H. Evans Brewing Company at Albany yep. Pump Station. I uh, did a previous episode there. Oh, very cool. Yep. So you know Sam. <laughs> uh, I haven't met Sam. Did you meet Ryan? Uh, I didn't meet... Well, when I went there, I talked to a uh, awesome guy with a fantastic mustache named Craig Gravina, who he doesn't... Oh, yeah, I know Craig Gravina. Oh, you know Craig? Yeah, yeah. I know Craig. <laughs> yeah, I talked to him. We did a previ- I did a previous episode talking about Albany and Albany Ale and Albany's history very and stuff cool. like that. Yeah, we, that was fun being there because we could mess around and... <clears throat> bring back all these historic beers oh yeah and that was really fun and i remember the the first brew that i did there when i was there but it was probably about like three years ago a uh we did a belgian quad ale because ryan thought it was funny it's like oh you know what it's like we'll do a belgian beer it's like you just came back from a belgian brewery let's let's just go with this so we did the <laughs> the revamped version of the union station quad and we ended up winning a gold medal at tap new york for best beer in new york Two years in a row, actually. We got nice. the Governor's Cup one year, and then we just got like a gold ale for, um, I think it was a Belgian Strong Ale category. And, yep, kept doing that and brewing beers down there and having fun in the pub atmosphere because it was funny working in a production brewery and then going into like a small brew pub. Yep. And now I'm here at Indian Ladder where I just came on board here in uh, February of this year. And uh, it's even funnier because it's even smaller. <laughs> Started with a 60-barrel system. Now I'm down to a, uh, well, when I first got here, it was a three-quarter barrel system. Yeah. Which is about, you know, 24 gallons or something like that. And uh, and now we just got our three-barrel, which we got uh, back in, when did we get the brew system? The cellar came on my first day, which is pretty cool. So Dieter got a brewer, and he got got the fermentation (laughs) cellar. Uh, But the brew house came at the beginning of May. And we've just been cranking out brews left and right on that thing. Yeah, that's what Dietrich was telling me. You guys sell out from oh, yeah. time to time on the weekends and things like that. Yeah, that's great. And uh, yeah, we just now that I'm here, like get a lot more uh, things to experiment with, especially being in the farm atmosphere. And now we're using like our barley that we grow here because we do like 12 acre. I think we did 12 acres of Tinkle Malt, which is a German variety. Mm-hmm. Now, are all the most of the ingredients you just use straight from the farm here, right? Yep. Yeah. Uh, nine, about 95% of the ingredients that we use are, are straight nice. from the farm. And then, like, we'll use some hops from, you know, Australia, New Zealand, and out on the West Coast because we, we can get our hands on some experimental hops from a company that we work really closely with, especially with the hop yard. It's uh, Hopsteiner. Mm-hmm. They're out in Yakima, Washington. So we have a lot of friends out there, and they kind of help us out. Like, they actually gave us... Um, uh, rhizomes to one of the first proprietary hops yep um it actually is the only proprietary hop they've actually sold to anyone outside of the 
the West Coast. Oh, wow. So this year we just put in Clipso hops. So we have some that we've just been messing around with and, and seeing what kind of flavor profiles we can get from that. And then we're going to find out and see how it changes. Because right now it's, you know, it's the end of October, but in the ground we put them in right after harvest, maybe like a week or two after harvest. And they looked a little, like, a little weak, a little frail and weak. <laughs> but now they're starting to look pretty, pretty strong, and I'm very excited to see how it turns out next year. Um, and then we get to mess around with that, which would be a lot of fun. So what's the hardest ingredient to grow and maintain, then? Is it those? Uh, what would be the hardest one? Well, it's probably the barley, because you have to, it's weather-dependent, basically. Yeah. Um, luckily, this year, we were very, very lucky and fortunate to pull the barley out of the ground the day before it rained for six oh. weeks straight. <laughs> so like we were talking to a bunch of other farmers in New York State that were growing Tinka, and they just put it in way too late and harvested it way too late and kind of got some pre-spout uh, pre germination out in the, the fields and can't really do much with that. You can't use that in brewing. No, wow. <laughs> doesn't sound like it. Yeah, right. <laughs> so what was the appeal of the farm brewery for you then? Uh, it's It's... Now they don't have to deal with hop contracts. So basically, I just say, hey, Dieter, can we do this? And he says, yes. And, like, and just going back to like the roots of, of brewing and then see where all your ingredients come from. And especially if we're out there in the field and you know doing hop yard stuff or taking moisture samples of the barley, I think mm-hmm. that's pretty cool because that kind of gives you like a real hands-on experience. And then when you see the product... While it's going to the maltster down in Germantown. From cradle to grave. Basically. basically. (laughs) Cradle to stomach. Yeah. (laughs) Into my mouth. Into. (laughs) uh, I've talked to a bunch of people that, of course, have been involved with beer and brewing beer. Mm -hmm. Uh, What are the challenges when it comes to making cider then, hard cider? Oh, jeez. Well, cider's kind of easy. I don't really do a lot of it, so that makes it easier for me. (laughs) uh, Fair point. But, uh, yeah, the, the way we do it is... You know, we'll we'll press certain apples, and we will just basically just leave them in totes and let them natural ferment. And then, because we're not just going straight with one tote into, like, a product, we actually do a lot of blending. It's mm-hmm. kind of like being, like, a Lambique brewer in Belgium or, like a, like, a, like, a vintner. So you're basically just taking little batches of this, like, okay, I want 20% of this cider, and then I want 30% of this cider... And then so on and so forth. Like you do a lot of like titrations, which is kind of cool and very interesting. And then you get these beautiful, unique flavors, which are very, you know, very different to, from many ciders. What do you think sets the farm apart here in their ciders? Oh, geez. It's probably the apple, the, the varieties apples. that we have, um, and especially the climate because we're, you know, at the bottom of the Heldenberg Escarpment. So we have some pretty interesting uh, weather patterns over here. And like this year, the apples were great, especially the cider apples. We've... I think uh, the last one we just did was, uh, uh, I'm going to say this wrong, a Davinet? Davinet? <laughs> I don't know. but uh, It tasted uh, well. It was, it was delicious. <laughs> that was probably one of the best like cider pressings I ever tasted. I'm excited to see how that ferments out, and that'll be really nice. Is uh, I forgot to ask Dietrich, but mm-hmm. is the stuff only available on the farm? How- um, no, we do have, yeah. we sell, we sell yeah. a little bit out. Um, mostly our biggest accounts are down in Brooklyn and Manhattan. Really? Oh, yeah. I had no idea. <laughs> but, like, around here in the Albany area, like, you can find it at Albany Allen Oyster, uh, Westmere Beverage, Oliver's, um, I think Whole Foods now. I think we just got into Whole Foods. Nice. Which is fun because now that we signed with a distributor, it's kind of helped out a lot, too. So That's awesome. <laughs> I also spoke to Dietrich. I know you guys mm-hmm. are basically planning to go to a 20-barrel system yep. up in, like, that new area. Any uh, special recipes or fun things you have cooking right now that you... Any other ones you're excited about? Uh, right now, I, I got I, I've got a lot up in my head. <laughs> got a lot in my head. We we still have the we have the cool ship out uh, right outside the tasting room, which uh, we use that for like our sour beers. So mm-hmm. when it comes straight from the kettle, it goes in there hot and it sits in there overnight to cool down. And while it's cooling, it's also picking up different types of microbes yep. that are floating around in the air. And then we'll put that right back into a fermenter and kind of give it like its terroir for for our sour beers, which is really nice. Nice. You got uh, any favorite stories since you've oh, started here six months ago? Oh, God. Or any fun brewing mishaps? Um, mishap? Well, working on a three-quarter barrel system was really fun. <laughs> it would yeah. take me three brews to fill up one fermenter. 
It'll be, it was a long week. <laughs> it was like, oh, brewing one day. Okay, I got to put that in there. It's like, okay, now I got to start ramping up the temperature, just uh, going into the fermenters and try to maintain that temperature. And it was it was a struggle for the first, like, two weeks to get used to that. And now that we can, you know, just put all 93 gallons into one tank at one shot, makes so it so much easier. Big challenge kind of scaling it down after you were used to oh, yeah. larger scale operations. Yeah, it's been so long. People are always asking me, like home brewers, like, oh, how much hops should I use in this beer? I was like, I don't know, like two kilos? And they're like, I don't even know what that means. I'm like, that's uh, that's a lot. That's probably a lot for a five-gallon batch. <laughs> a couple ounces would be fine. Anything in particular you'd like to see the farm like get into when it comes to brewing? Uh... Not really. I think we're pretty good as is, uh, and it's especially because we're work- we're also working really closely with um, uh, Fraunhofer Designs. Yep. Are, I don't know if Dieter told you all about yep, them. Yep, he mentioned them. And that's kind of cool that we can we can deal with them. We have a canning line coming here pretty soon. Nice. Um, so that way we don't have to go with mobile canning anymore. We can just do small batch stuff if we want. That'll be nice, yeah. And then we can have different arrays of of canned product which is really nice and people prefer that a lot more than doing bottles <laughs> because you can you know like we got hiking trails around here it's, it's easier just to bring a can it is yeah if it, you're gonna take it hiking or mm-hmm. out and about yeah and it's easier for transporting like if people are coming here from say they're coming from new zealand or something like that and like oh i want to bring this beer back home and then they can just it won't be that bad <laughs> nice well, that's going to do it for this episode. I'd like to thank my guests. Uh, I thank Dietrich before. I'll stop down and see him again. Thank you, Stott. Uh, <laughs> I, I almost said Stott. He wasn't, I don't know he wasn't drinking any ciders, I swear. No, no. Uh, non-alcoholic cider, just with the whistle. Uh, thank you, Scott Veltman, no. brewer here at Indian Ladder, for coming up and talking to me about the brewing a little bit. No, thank you. Uh, thanks for being on the show. I appreciate you mm-hmm. stopping by, hanging out, telling me about... Uh, brewing on a smaller system (laughs) (laughs) and I can't wait to see uh, over the next couple years it grow Mm -hmm. (laughs) Uh, be sure to check out Indian Ladder Farms to the millions of people out there that listen I'm sure there's millions Uh, you can check out their website their Facebook keep tabs on the cool stuff they have going on I know there's some cookouts going down on the weekends here through November and the cidery and brewery is open year-round. Yep, we are. We're open uh, Wednesday through Sunday. You can also find them on Twitter, if I didn't mention it as well. Uh, thank you for checking out the show. You can find stories from a bar on Facebook. Follow the show on Twitter, Instagram. It's also on YouTube. You'll also find the show on iTunes, Podbeam, Stitcher, Google Play. And be sure to subscribe, and even more importantly, leave me a review. Just do it. It doesn't take any effort on your part. Hardly any. Just click five stars. So until next time, cheers.